There's about that many that we have baptized in a month and a half. Praise God. To God be the glory. Amen. We're thankful for that. And God has been doing great, great things. So coming back from a Memorial Weekend and knowing that people are going to be a little bit in flux, uh, we decided to take this service and focus more on, on what is going to be information and a skill set, something to add to our toolbox. I, I want to be uh, better. Amen. I want to be better. If you're a musician, you should want to be a better musician. If you're a singer, you should want to be a better singer. Amen. And if you're a church, we should want to be a better church. I, mean, I don't know that anybody says, no, nah, it's okay. It doesn't matter. And it's all right if we slide into something that is worse. This is not what we're after. We want to be better. So I want to be a better disciple of Jesus. Amen. So there's a, a lot of things that are involved in being a better church and working with people. Remember this. This is very, very important. It's not about you. Praise God. It's not about me. It's not about what I like or dislike. It's about people in the altar. It's about people coming to God. It's about helping people disciple. Amen. And become disciples. That's why we do Elements on Friday night, working with people to try to become better. Amen. And so that's very, very important. So we have, a, we have two speakers. We have Brother Stanley Hopkins, who is an evangelist. And we have Brother Maximilian Otazu, who has been involved in a, a lot of different ministries and, and has, has been involved in altar working, and that's what he really loves doing. And so we're going to hear from both of them, and at the end of this, we'll have just a few moments for a question and answer. So this is very, very different than what you might be accustomed to, but it's going to help all of us. Our first speaker tonight is going to be Brother Stanley Hopkins, and he is going to come to us and give us a viewpoint from an evangelist. When an evangelist comes, sometimes there's a lot of uh, pressure that is put upon evangelists because the church has a certain expectation of an evangelist. Sometimes that people get to get the Holy Ghost and there's this drive for numbers. And we've never really, that's not important to us. I thank God for, for 15 people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's fabulous. <clears throat> that's fabulous. But my expectation when an evangelist comes in is not that it's just about numbers because it depends on where the state of the church is. Sometimes not a person may get the Holy Ghost, but you may have an incredible revival. And so you don't get stuck on one facet of it. But typically people have kind of an assumption when an evangelist comes, their expectations. What I want to hear from him tonight is what does an evangelist expect out of the church? And that's, that's, not, uh, that's not a conversation that is, is typical. And so he's going to come give us uh, some things, having traveled a lot and been in a lot of churches. What's the expectation of an, and we're doing this at the end of the revival, which is, we got, we got one more Sunday to go. and We've had a great time, uh, but that's okay. We'll just see based upon the things that he expects, how we measured up. What kind of a grade do we get? Maybe we'll find out. And so that's what he's going to speak about. He's going to be followed after his uh, session by Brother Otazu. It's going to give to us practical tips on altar working and things that we should be cognizant of to see people um, receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a birthing process. It's a new birth experience. And, and so we know on a physical side of things, when a mother is going in to give birth, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. It's not a haphazard thing. Uh, sometimes it's an emergency thing, but for the most part, it's a process and it takes people that know what they're doing. And so <clears throat> he's going to finish that. And then the two of them together will field some, some questions and I'll try to help moderate that. Amen. Praise God. So we're excited about both of these individuals being with us here tonight. Amen. We want to hear from you. Put your hands together and welcome Brother Stanley Hopkins, our first speaker. Only Pastor Bradford, only Pastor Bradford would have us set up like this, but I think it's amazing in all the places that we get to minister in, um, I especially, I need to be careful because I know this is being streamed, but I especially uh, am appreciative of Pastor Bradford's pursuit of excellence in everything, in everything. So tonight I'm going to, just for a few moments, talk about the toolkit and a few things that are necessary for revival. But to really get to where I can just talk, we gotta, I gotta just build this very small, quick foundation. And if I tonight were, I just gotta put us on a good framework for the word revival. When I say revival, I'm talking about the spirit that resides in a church. 
And, and I guess a good way to put this is when my wife and I, as evangelists, are packing our bags, I don't ask my wife, did she pack the revival? Because we got to go somewhere. That would be terrible. It's not something that we bring in our suitcase, but it's something that's already resident in a church. So I know it's apostolic vernacular and nomenclature to call a set of ser a series of services a revival, uh, but I just I just feel like I come to do a little part in a revival that's already happening, because I believe and I don't want to get ahead of myself. Revival was already here before we got here, and when we leave to our next assignment, revival will continue and it will grow. So I want to look at one of the greatest revivals in history as a launching point. There was this guy who was very famous, who had in fact preached one revival that had brought many souls, and if my memory is correct, I believe it is found in the book of Jeremiah, and it's only a very, very short, small text. We find him again when the Lord of the Lord says to Jonah, I want you to go to the city of that great city, Nineveh, and cry against it. The history of these people is unbelievable, so much so that they, they, they had a despicable past and present that they hated the prophets and anybody that would come. And so we read of Jonah getting on a ship, and he goes down to Joppa. And when he's down, headed that way uh, from Tarshish, there comes a, there comes, he goes down in the boat, and he goes down in the belly of the fish. You know, when you're running from God, I, there's only one way. You go down. But the Lord kind of prepares a storm in the story we know so well. But this is when we can get a glimpse of a powerful concept of revival. Because in the belly of the fish, in the, in, in the pit of hell is what Jonah says, that he turned and he looked toward the Lord in repentance. And when he did, he came to the shores of Nineveh. And he journeyed into the city about one day, and he began to preach. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And, and what I've entitled this little talk is the key holders of revival. And so in this revival, I want to observe some of the key holders. And after Jonah goes through this, this repentance, he, he begins to preach. And, and, and there's something so miraculous that happens. And I call it the turning, the turning. And here is the true key holder of revival, in my estimation, found in Jonah 3 and 5, the first three words, so the people. We've all experienced revivals where the preacher was perhaps only okay. However you want to measure that, I, I just, I just got, I only got 20 minutes. Don't make me qualify everything I'm about to say. But there was something resident in the congregation that unlocked the miraculous. And every time you stepped in the doors, it was like you stepped in an open heaven. It is really contingent upon the success of any revival is the people, the people of Nineveh. This is a foreshadowing of Isaiah 6 and 12, and we're going to look at what happened when the people uh, made up their mind about what they were going to do. But Ephesians 6 and 12, we know it so well, but it's exemplified here in this because the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest all the way down to the least. There was a, oh, a unified spirit that we're going to collectively turn. And when they made that collective decision, it from the people, it filtered up to the king's palace. And the king humbled himself and he put on sackcloth and he sat in ashes. And then from that place, he gives a decree. I want everybody, uh, not beast or herd nor flock shall taste anything. And I don't even want them to drink water. And so we see this, 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 this uh, elevation, this turning that happens. And it reaches to a heavenly perspective because in Jonah 3 and 10, they said, if, if we turn, let's see if God will also turn. And God did turn. And the reason that Jonah fled from Nineveh wasn't because he was afraid of the, of the thing that might happen to him, but it's amazing. He tells on himself in Jonah 4 and 2, and he says, 
I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and great of kindness, and you repent. God, you turn. When a people make up their mind that we're going to experience the miraculous, we're going to experience signs and wonders, God, it's in your nature. We know that's what you're going to do. And so as an evangelist, every place that I go to, I go with an expectancy that the people that, are, that, 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 are, that we are headed to are hungry for a move of God. And because they're hungry for a move of God, I know for sure we're going to see signs, miracles, and wonders. I want to empower not just the adults or those that are uh, head of household, but I want to empower the youth group tonight because some of the greatest revivals that my wife and I have been a part of, have all started with some young people. I'm thinking of a revival, and I'm really getting to, I'm getting to where I really can talk. I'm thinking of a revival in my mind. I was the youth leader. In church, have you ever been there when church was just like, it was just good, it was just okay, nothing really, I mean, you don't, okay, you don't have to nod or anything. We've, we've all been there, let me put it that way. And the young people, the young people put their youth leader on a three-day fast because three of the boys came to me and said, Brother Hopkins, we're going to go on a three-day fast. And so we went on a three-day fast, and something broke in the atmosphere. Then they decided we want to meet a couple hours before service for prayer, every service. I had a job. I had things to do. But we went, and we did that. And that attitude that, that, that was just among a few young men, it, it blew up. Until I remember a Saturday evening, the boys and I would normally go and play, to go eat, and I, I'd just, just, go, just go have fun. But they said, we don't want to do that tonight. What we want to do is go back to the church and pray. And we went back to the church, and, and I didn't know how long we'd be there, but they had, come with, with, they had come with no intention to leave, no intention to leave, except to change clothes for the following service. And that, that prayer meeting that Saturday night erupted in such a powerful way. And the young man, I don't, it went against everything. It went against, I'm talking about the expectations, okay? The expectations of an evangelist. I expect that things like this are happening before I get there. And, and the young man, this, 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 they ran up and got the oil out of the pulpit. And, and we started anointing everything. And so that Sunday morning, the piano, the organ, the bass, the drums, every tom-tom, the doors, every pew had been anointed. And that Sunday morning when we came in for church, Holy Ghost, my I can't tell you who the preacher was. I can't tell you what they preached. But the spirit of revival in the congregation elevated and went to the next level because the people. So I, this is what I would really love to see happen for the next level of the revival that's going to happen in this church. It's for some of you young men and some of you young ladies to make it up in your mind. By this time next year, our youth group is going to double. And, and if you make up your mind as young people that something's going to change, I, I, I'm going to preach in, in the month of uh, sometime in the next few weeks uh, up north. And the pastor there has been calling and talking to me. And he said, the young people of my church have been meeting every Saturday night and praying for at least two hours. He said, since that has happened, we have had so many people get the Holy Ghost. And I'm now going to look at expanding our building. I've got a meeting with an architect. And that all started because some young people. And so I, I'm just going to throw it out. I'm just going to tell you, one of the key holders to true revival is not mom and dad. Not all the time. It's sometimes young people. The greatest, a matter of fact, I think Azusa Street started out with some young people at a college that decided we're going to pray. Man, I feel something in the atmosphere right there. Yep, you parents feel that? You back these people up if they want a young people, they want to pray and seek God? That's a key to revival. My God of heaven. Be empowered. And so there is an atmosphere that is, that, is, that is created by the key holders, the people of God, that, that facilitates absolute apostolic Holy Ghost revival. And, oh boy, I, I really, oh man, oh man, oh man, I got to be really, really careful. I can almost 90% of the time, and I know there are, I'm just, this is Brother Hopkins talking to GBFPC. I ain't talking to nobody else anywhere that might tune in or that's, I'm talking to this church here, okay? 
oh boy, I could, this, I could really blow a big hole in my boat right now, a big hole. But I can tell almost how revival's gonna go in the first 10 minutes of my being in the sanctuary in prayer meeting before service starts. You can tell the true health of a church and the true, um, the true feeling of a church in the first 10 minutes before service begins and the last 10 minutes after service ends. What I am saying is what the evangelist expects when he shows up is that there's going to be a people that have been praying every single service. I cannot overestimate to you, I cannot overestimate to you the importance of pre-service prayer. I cannot. The preparation of the atmosphere begins with pre-service prayer. I ain't the pastor. I'm just an evangelist. You don't even have to take. I'm just telling. If you're one of those, you know, if you're one of those folks who just shows up, you know, just willy-nilly and, and, you, and, and you treat pre-service prayer as your buffer zone to finish your mac and cheese and get the kids dressed, boy, you're cheating yourself and you're robbing yourself of something amazing. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. I don't even know how long I've been going. But, but there's a multifaceted beauty that happens because not only are you preparing the atmosphere for the word of God to go forth, for the sinner to come and pray through, but you are teaching your children. Now, I, the, I, you know where I learned how to pray? Do you want me to tell you where I learned how to pray? I learned how to pray. Uh, the pastor, okay, on the left-hand side of the platform, on the stairs, in pre-service prayer. Because my mother had us there at least one hour before service, every service. And that's when the true prayer warriors show up, when it's just a few people. So I expect, what I expect when I show up is that this is going to be a church that takes pre-service prayer seriously. Okay, I could read 2 Chronicles 7.14, but for the sake of time, I will not. The second is worship and praise, worship and praise, because this creates the atmosphere. I can even say the firmament, Psalm 150. Praise him in the firmament. Praise him in the atmosphere. This creates a freedom for God to work. And this attitude of praise and worship invites God into the atmosphere. Okay, let me just, oh, how long, didn't you, is, are you timing me? I forgot. Okay, let me just tell you, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I'm, I'm okay. Praise God. Okay, let me tell you something. There is a point in every service. Oh, boy. There is a point that I look for in every service, and I've mentioned it here. In every service, there is a point when people begin to praise, and that praise develops into worship, and that worship ascends to the throne of God, you can literally feel the release of angels into the atmosphere. And it's like the, the, the and I, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know if it's an ear thing or a heart thing, but it's, it seems to me like the decibels increase in that atmosphere. And I wait for that in every service. And if it doesn't happen, oh, if it doesn't happen, I come to the pulpit and I will spend more time searching for that moment because if that moment doesn't happen in a service, nothing else will. In fact, I'll tell you on a personal level, if you have not ascended into praise and worship, you start, the only thing you've got to worship God in is, is your flesh. You start in your flesh. And, until you, and you've got to break through that atmosphere of worship when an angel comes in and you can feel him looking and inquiring and wondering what's going on. You won't receive anything in a service unless you personally have broken through that atmosphere. And you feel the heavenlies joining in to meet your need. I'm going to challenge, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh God. Brother Maximilian and clean it up, or maybe pastor. I'm going to challenge you every time you come to service. I'm going to challenge you every time you come to service. Number one, pray. Number two, praise. And make sure that praise breaks through to a point of worship. You might praise in the flesh, but you worship in the spirit. And when you enter into the spirit, you just bring your petition to God at that point and see what he'll do. Yeah. Sister Bustamante, you know what makes a difference for grandma and grandpa? When you worship. When you worship. When you praise. You know what makes the difference? The place where needs are absolutely met and ministered to is that place, oh my, of worship. So I expect when we show up, 
And if it doesn't happen, uh, there, there are all kinds of different scenarios. My job is so crazy. There are some places I go to, I mean, that's all we talk about is worship, 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 worship. I get so tired. And the pastor's like, you want to go on another week? I'm like, oh, I just received a call from Pastor Bradford. We got to go. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. The next thing, number three, that I look for is a connection between the pulpit and the pew. Every message that we've, that we've preached, you guys can feel it when it's, like, um, when it's like, a, like a mechanism that comes together and locks. And it's like, I don't even have to say anything. You don't got to say anything. It's like, we just know. We got hell nervous, and we about to have a good time today. You know, you guys know that moment I'm talking about when it's like, man. And it has nothing to do with my skill or my ability. It has nothing, but it's a, it's a God thing. He's in the atmosphere just pulling things together, working things. He's got the angels down there working, you worshiping, and then the preacher comes, and we click. Boom. It's like something's about to happen in this place. I look for, and that is based on your response to the preaching. You've got to respond to the preaching. You've got to say amen every once in a while. Now, there is that, you know, there is the time for the sophisticated Pastor Bradford squint. But that ain't all the time. At some point, you've got to just, just say amen to the word of God. It was, it's in Exodus 24 and 3. When Moses came to the people and spoke all the word of the Lord and all the judgments, it, it was good. It was just a spoken word. But then something magical happened. Something, I shouldn't say magical, something miraculous happened because all the people answered with one voice. Everybody had one voice. All the words that the Lord says, we're going to do it. Two minutes left. Hallelujah. Zephaniah 3 and 9, for then I will turn to the people of pure language that they all may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one consent. There ain't nothing more powerful than your amen. There is nothing. When the promises of God comes forth and you say amen, what you're doing is you're claiming it and releasing it into the atmosphere. Okay. I only got two minutes. You can't. You guys are taking my time. Hallelujah. Okay. Three things that happen in every revival. I'm going to finish with this. And I could spend a lot of time. I'm not going to. I only got now a minute and a half. The church has helped. Prayer becomes fluid. Not that it's easy to get to the place to pray, but when you're there, it's easy to pray. The desire to protect purity is increased, and unity is elevated to its proper seat in the house. And a pure passion for the things of God is ignited. The second thing that happens is the sin question is dealt with. Sin, and this is where the pastor gets really busy. The pastor don't get no time off on the event. The pastor gets really busy because sin is exposed in the congregation. And the congregation has to determine how you're going to handle that, and you've got to judge it. Conviction is released in the atmosphere, and then, oh, this is my favorite part. Once that's done, repentance is granted. Then it's like a spirit of reconciliation descends on the saints of God. And they begin to restore that person who has been exposed. And sinners also are granted repentance. The third thing that happens is souls begin to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And a fervent desire launches them into life change. And then together, the saint and the sinner are changed in every aspect of an apostolic. In the last few weeks, we've seen many receive the Holy Ghost, many baptisms, many miracles of healing, and backsliders coming home. If I were to have an epistle that I would write, it would say this. So the people of Bakersfield believed God, proclaimed a fast, determined to give God the glory from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. They humbled themselves and committed to pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways. Then God heard from heaven forgave their sin, and continued the work in healing their land. Let's lift our hands and thank God for that right now. Let's stand to our feet and let's thank the Lord together. Praise God. Lift up your voice and thank God. God, we thank you and praise you. Praise God. We feel your anointing, your touch, your ability, and we ask God that you would continue a work in us. Praise God. In our community, that revival would continue. We give to you thanks and we praise you and we worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together.
Amen. 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 God bless you. you can be seated. Brother Otazu comes from us by way of North Carolina, San Diego, Red Bluff, California, and now he's in Bakersfield. And um, um, the four things that Brother Hopkins gave you right there at the end, there were some preliminary things that he talked about, prayer being important, praise and worship being important, a connectivity being important between the pulpit and the pew. And then he went into the four things. But you could also add there, these, are, these, these would be like the foundational things, your prayer, the praise and worship, uh, the connectivity to the pulpit, and then there's a very vital, vital part, and that is the altar. Very vital, very vital. And so what Brother Otazu is coming here, several weeks ago he gave kind of a, a, a foundation and framework for altar working, uh, but I, I want to hear from him tonight on just practical things to do in working with people in the altar. Amen. So, Brother Tazu, God bless you. Put your hands together and welcome him as he comes. Praise God. So about eight to ten years ago, I really started noticing patterns. There was patterns when I was praying with somebody and things went really well. And uh, someone received the Holy Ghost. And then I also recognized that there was patterns when things didn't go so well and they didn't get the Holy Ghost because that does happen. But there are so many reasons why somebody won't get the Holy Ghost. But the biggest thing that I have noticed over these years is if somebody has not been sufficiently educated on what's going to happen, there's a bigger chance that they will not receive the Holy Ghost. Like I had demonstrated with Peyton. Where's Peyton? He's out of town. So as I demonstrated with Peyton a couple weeks ago, I just told him, go. That's all I did. I didn't give him any other instruction. I just told him, just go. And he didn't know what to do. He just stood there stunned like, I don't know where to go, what to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. Where, where, am, I, where am I headed? It's a very uncomfortable situation. So when you're praying with somebody in an altar, educate them on what is about to happen. So in very short order, within 30 seconds or less, you can tell somebody exactly what's going to happen to them by way of what the Bible says. You can tell them. Listen, the Bible says that when you receive the Holy Ghost, that you will begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. What that means is that you'll begin to speak in another language that you've never learned before. And then I'll clarify it for them. I'll tell them. I said, it's not going to be English. It's not going to be Spanish. It's not going to be anything that you know. I say Spanish because there's a lot of Spanish speakers here. But it's not going to be a language that you know. It's going to be a heavenly language. It's going to be something that's just going to come upon you. So just allow it to happen. I will tell them, just allow it to happen. So there is that, that, that whole aspect of educating. You need to educate the seeker, the person who's seeking the Holy Ghost, in really short order what's going to happen. So the second part, and by the way, I've, I've, I've done this in such a way that I've, I've broke this up into three different phases and they all start with the letter E just for ease of memorization. But that's going to be educate, encourage, and the experience. So we've just covered education. So encourage. The next part is to affirm to the seeker that they are on the right path. Because if somebody doesn't know that what they're doing is correct or they're on the right path, how are they going to know how they're ever going to arrive? They have no idea. So, again... In very short order, and I use very, very short phrases like, that's it. Keep going. Go on. You're doing really well. The reason why I want to keep these phrases really, really short is because I don't want them to be thinking about the meaning of what I'm saying. All I want them to be doing is to be focusing on God. Going back to what Pastor Bradford was saying earlier, this isn't about me. It's not me coming up with cute, clever little phrases to make somebody feel all tingly inside. It's just to get them to interact with God. That's it. Okay? So, that's, that's one part. Now, you will come across people who they don't want to pray out loud. And this is where I have come up with a little phrase. and just told you don't worry about phrases. But this is where I have come up with a phrase that it helps somebody without actually telling them to open your mouth and speak. Because you can't speak in tongues if you're doing it silently. You're not speaking. You may be mouthing. You may be whispering. But you're not speaking in tongues. You need to speak. So I will tell people 
Let him hear your voice. That's it. It's an instinctive action that when somebody tells you, let them hear your voice, immediately, thank you, Jesus, or whatever they want to say. But there is going to be some sort of auditory connection being made between them and God. And the cool thing about this is that the moment somebody starts opening their mouth and they start declaring and proclaiming their need for God, their need for mercy, their need for whatever the case may be, there is, there is a, a deeper connection that's made between them and God. Okay? So, I'll do that. And I'll continue on. I'll say, go on. That's it. You're doing really, really well. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you need. Things like that. Okay? Really, really simple. I'm not getting into, oh, thou that bestowest the blessings upon Noah and upon myself. I'm not doing any of that. Talk to people like they're a human being. The minute you say, oh, thou that hearest thou that... Be Stop. But talk to somebody like they're a human being. Nobody wants to feel as if though they're being belittled by, you know, oh, just, just talk to him in the most powerful way. I tell people, honestly, I say, don't worry about making it all poetic. Just speak from your heart. That's it. That's all you need because it's not about me. It's about them and their connection to God. I'm just facilitating a meeting between man and the master. That's it. Okay? Moving along. So eventually you'll get to the place where you will see things come to a crescendo. You will feel things come to a crescendo. And as this is happening, at the same time this is happening, I will tell them, Holy Ghost is all over you. Holy Ghost is all over you. Just allow God to do what he wants to do. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Don't, worry, don't think about anything else. Just focus your attention on God. And here, this is where I will use a little bit of trickery. I will purposely frame things in the positive, and I won't use negative things. I won't say things like, don't worry about everybody else around you. Because subconsciously, somebody's going to be thinking, worry about everybody else around you. It's like when you say, don't think of a purple cat. Immediately, what comes in your mind is a purple cat, and then you have to force that object or that thought out. So I will be very, very specific in telling people in the positive, just focus on God. Let him hear your voice. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you need. Get close to him. Let him speak to you. Feel after that. Little phrases, just like that. And honestly, guys, that's it. We try to make this thing so... Ah, just obscure. Like, like people, I, I've, I've given a lesson similar to this before, and I have had people kind of like half upset at me that I didn't give them some deep secret that came out of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls or something like that. I'm just like, bro, it's, it's, it, this isn't, it's not something that, that you have to think about so much. This is all about feeling. It's you connecting with God. That's it. So, and then there's the experience. Once the person connects to God and they start speaking in tongues, that's when I will just back off and my role changes. I am no longer coaching somebody, leading somebody, guiding somebody through their experience. I have stepped back and now I'm just in a supportive role. And I'm just saying, get it. That's it. Let God touch you. Let him work on you. I'm just supporting. I have seen, oh... This, I think that this is going to be very valuable to some people. Several years ago in a, in a youth camp, there was a, a little black girl that she was in the altar and she was praying. And then there was a, a minister. I'm not going to tell you who it was. But there was a minister who walked up and he started praying with this little girl who was trying to get the Holy Ghost. She was probably 15, 16. She's young, 15, 16. And the moment she got the Holy Ghost, the moment she started speaking in tongues, that minister got so excited, he grabbed her arm and he started just shaking her. Well, it shook her right out of her experience. Guys, use your brain when you're working with people. These are real people. Again, going back, people don't like to feel as if though they're put on a show. People don't, feel, don't like to feel as if though they're, they're being belittled in any way. I will talk to people like they're like they're human beings. When you're working with people, remember that these people have real emotions, have real thoughts, 
And many times they have real struggles that they're dealing with. So when they receive the Holy Ghost, I'm stepping back. I do not want to do anything to cheapen that person's experience with God because, again, this is a place of exchange. And they are laying down all of their negative junk and they're exchanging that with the Holy Ghost, which is so much better than any sort of negativity that you can be carrying on. So I don't want to cheapen any of that, number one. Lastly, there's a couple things that I want to I leave with you so that you can think about, and, and I am kind of coming to a close. But um, number one, hygiene. Do you think that hurt it? Should I get it a second time just in case? Hygiene. Make sure you have proper hygiene. Their eyes may be closed, but their nose is not. Am, am I on? Am I on? It's a lifesaver. Brother, you ever try to pray with somebody that don't have deodorant? Your eyes will start watering before you ever get the chance to say, tell them you love them. Oh, my God. I don't want to do anything to distract my, my ability to, to direct them towards God. This is all about rapport. You have to have enough rapport with somebody that they will allow you to lead them through this experience. Hygiene, make sure that you have a toothbrush, a toothpaste, floss, shower, deodorant. Launder your clothes more than once a month. Carry mints with you. I don't want to be the reason why somebody doesn't receive the Holy Ghost because, because I make my own musk. Okay? That's gross. Yeah. It's gross. Mind your hygiene. Number two. Be mindful that when, when you're praying with somebody in an altar, many times the altar service is typically very, very loud. But most people will hear you very clearly from 6 to 12 inches away from their ear in a normal conversational tone. You do not need to shout at them. I will literally go on and just talk to them. Just, just tell them what you feel at that volume. How do I know if I'm too loud? The moment they start, like, turning their face away from, you're too loud, okay? When they start, like, mm, you're too loud, just talk to them. Again, these are normal people. These are people that all they want to do is just get in touch with God, and your job is just to facilitate that meeting. That's it. Number three, calibration. Praying with somebody, praying somebody through to the Holy Ghost requires you to calibrate with somebody. While the seeker is repenting, give them time to repent. Very good. Very good. While they're actively seeking for the Holy Ghost, give them time to seek. Yes. You do not need to try to rush them through Gethsemane just because you have your own little agenda. This is not about me. This is about the person down there who's trying to get in touch with God. This has nothing to do with, well, I've got exactly seven minutes. I, I have 20 minutes up here, but I don't have 20 minutes to pray somebody through the Holy Ghost. I have as long as they are willing to stay with me. So do not rush people through this stuff. Just let them do what they need to do. So what does that have to do with calibration? How do you know where a person is at in this journey? Pay attention to body language. Okay? When somebody... Uh, Guys, I don't have time to teach all of this. Needless to say, learn a little bit about body language. Look at somebody's posture. Watch their, their, their eyebrows. Uh, listen to their tone of voice. Watch their level of animation change. Uh, you know, it, it's ideally, ideally, when I approach somebody, I want to match their energy level plus one. Okay? I, I don't think you guys need a demonstration for that. I just, Whatever. But I will try to match somebody's energy level plus one. So if somebody's at like a number two and they're just like, oh, Jesus, and just, you know, I will come in and I'm going to say, go on, that's it. Just talk to them for a little while. And I'll meet that same level and just start giving them just a little bit more. I don't want there to be such a big gap that I lose them. Remember, you're taking somebody on a journey with them. Oh, with you, excuse me. You're taking somebody on a journey with you. So if I'm all the way up here and my seeker is all the way back there, 
I'm not doing them any sort of service. I need to be with them the whole time. So I will start with somebody at an energy level of two, whatever the case may be, and I will just begin to build up. And the only time I start building up is when I recognize I have sufficient rapport with somebody. If I don't have that rapport, all bets are off. How do you know if you have rapport with somebody? Many times they'll just start nodding their head. They're listening. Many times they'll just have a softening of their, their facial muscles. They're not trying to, like, turn away from you. They're just, they're just intently listening. These are little things that you... That you may not notice right away. It just takes time for your eyes to kind of, again, calibrate to it. But you will see these things happen. You watch somebody in an altar. Just before they get the Holy Ghost, many times you'll start seeing this little, like, hand-twitching thing. It's, it's, many times it's open hand, and it's just like a little, like, just a, just a little wiggle in their fingertip. They don't know what to do or how to do it. And th this is just that, that supernatural moment between man and master. And there's just that link and that connection. They're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And bah! That's when you know that's the moment that you need to strike. So how do I know where they're at in that journey? I'm looking for those types of key indicators like their eyebrows, tone of voice, level of animation, that kind of type stuff. So once I have that rapport, only then can I start leading them. Number four, lastly, and I mentioned this last, last time that we spoke here, check your zeal. Does this person really want the Holy Ghost? Or is this just me wanting to do my thing? I have seen. Did you guys know Sean Dunahoe? Yeah. So I have a pastor friend of mine, Sean Dunahoe, and he told me a story one time that there was a minister uh, at some conference of some sort. I can't remember what it was, exactly what it was, but he told me the story. And as the story goes, there was a, a visitor, and they were in the altar, and they were praying. It was a guy, and, and nothing was really happening. Just, nothing was really happening. And this minister, he's given everything he's got. I mean, he is, he's all up in it. And he starts telling him, this, this other person, the, the, the visitor, he starts shouting at him, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. Well, the visitor wasn't happening. He wasn't having it. That visitor turned to that minister and said, Shanana, there, you happy? Guys, I don't want somebody to start speaking in tongues in spite of me. I want them to start speaking in tongues because they've connected to something powerful. I want them to start speaking in tongues because they know that the one that created the heavens and the earth just lifted me up. Just child. I'd rather it be because they truly get connected with the Messiah. I want it to be that when people come here, that they're not nervous or bashful about what's going on because we have an equipped set of people who know how to operate in this platform right there, in the altar. By the way, the altar is not necessarily just this little area. It does also extend back into the pews. It does also extend into people's homes. It does also extend into people's workplaces. It does also extend anywhere. If somebody wants the Holy Ghost, I want you to have sufficient confidence in your ability and your faithfulness that God's going to do what he promised that he would do and he's going to pour out the Holy Ghost. So why don't we all get to our feet very quickly. Let's lift up our hands and let's start giving him praise in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we give you praise and honor. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Love him together. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for your greatness and your goodness. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. We've got a few minutes, and we have two young men. Go out there, if you would, really quick. Brother Garrett and Brother Caden. And uh, Brother Hopkins, if you would come on my right. Brother Otazo, if you'd stand over here. We're going to just open this up and allow some questions, if you want to ask some questions about some of these things. Both of our speakers uh, tonight have done a fabulous job. We need to give them a hand. Thank you, Brother Hopkins. Thank you, Brother Otazu. Amen. Praise God. Um, nothing that they, 
everything they said was very uplifting. I think sometimes we need the proper education so that we can be more responsive. And I think sometimes we want to do more than we should be doing because we want, we, we want somebody to, to receive the Holy Ghost, but you can't receive the Holy Ghost for them. It's got to be something that they want. Amen. So if you have a question, just raise your hand and they will bring you a microphone. You can ask a question on either topic. If you've got a question, you would like to ask them and hear uh, from their perspective. You don't get this opportunity very often, if at all. This, this doesn't happen. Uh, it's usually sitting around a table with preachers and the people of God, the saints of God, don't get to ask questions. So there are no wrong questions. Okay? So uh, quickly, if you have a question, raise your hand. Sister Susie right here. Stay right there, Garrett. I have two, so I want to get out of the way. First is about the seeker. What do you suggest, because this has happened to me before, when you clearly see that the, the person has stammering lips and sounds are coming out, but they're not yet speaking in tongues, but they start biting their lip. Great, and, great and, question. And then the second question is about the saint that's praying with them. When they start going like this. Great this, question. Great two questions. Going. Okay. Because that, to me, is very distracting. Thank you. Story. Give her a hand. She just set us up for some great questions. Great. <laughs> Fabulous. So uh, as far as like this whole thing right here, I have seen that. I think that is that one of the worst things that you can do for somebody because it breaks their concentration and ruins your rapport with them. Uh, does it work? I have seen it happen. Has somebody received the Holy Ghost? I have seen it. Is it the best way to do it? I, I know many different ways that are much more effective, personally. So that, that's, that's this, answering your second question. The first question was what one was Stammering lips. Stammering lips. How do you know how to yeah. help them get beyond that? So the, the question about stammering lips, this goes back to my setup. I will tell somebody that you will speak in another language. I'm telling them. It's not going to be English. It's not going to be Spanish. It's not going to be anything that you know. I'm telling them. So the, the, uh, 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 that, that's them trying to hold back. They don't know what's happening, and so they're just unsure. When you properly educate somebody, it's, it's very easy for them. And they hear it all around them, number one. Number two, many times I will start doing it with them or just before them just to kind of give them an example of, you know, what is acceptable, I guess the best way to say it. Because it, you have to admit this, it is a little odd for somebody who has never received the Holy Ghost to speak in a language that they've never learned before. So I will tell them, you're going to speak in another language. So that kind of does away with that. If not, I will tell them, go on and speak in tongues. I will tell them, speak in tongues. I hope that answers that That was excellent. Great question. Great, great answer. Excellent. Anyone else? All right. Sister Linda over here on this side. Caden, quick run over there. Someone else has a question. Uh, do you want to raise your hand and maybe we can, Brother Rob over here, you can already get the microphone so we're not wasting time. Sister Linda. When you're praying with someone, should, when, when there's two or three people around, there sh shouldn't there only be one person talking to them and they should stay with them until they're through praying? Great question. Great question that also bleeds into what are, the play, what are the principal partners in that uh, relationship? Of a, because many times you have multiple people. How should that work? Right. So um, as, as Pastor Bradford had mentioned last time, there is a, a leader of sorts, and then there's like a support role that you can play. Uh, for the leader, there should be one leader. If you have multiple people trying to say multiple different things, it just causes confusion. The Bible says that he's not the author of confusion, so that's immediately just canked. Uh, as a leader, if I see somebody who's praying with another person, and, and we did cover this last time, but I will just kind of step back. It, let's say that Pastor Bradford is, is the, the leader. I will step back and just wait for him to, to be done or until he kind of looks up and looks around for help. And then I'll say to him, can I jump in? That, that's just a, a courtesy so that I'm not stepping on his toes. I'm not discrediting him. And I'm not making, it's not, again, it's not about me. It's about that person. Excellent. Does that answer the question? Yeah. 
Yeah, explain. I think in the last session we talked about there are people that feel like they can lead that, and there are other people that are not comfortable. Maybe they haven't grown to be able to do that. Those would be like support people. And you need support people, Absolutely. which are there praying, right? But you only need a, you need a clear signal and sound of one person. If you're hearing over here, hold on, hold on, and over here, let go, let go, the person's like, I'm not sure what's going on here, right? <laughs> so, very good question. Thank you, Sister Lynn. That was excellent. Bill Hopkins, you want to respond to that? I think, you know, we're talking about the lead person, the support person, just on two different answers. There's like this, and I think everybody here understands it, just the, the spiritual authority aspect of it. Here, I'm the evangelist, and if Pastor Brecker wants to come in and help pray with somebody, I absolutely step aside. The, what really answers the question of who should the leader be really is a spiritual dominion and authority like head down type thing. And then when somebody's right at the, right at the precipice of receiving the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, the, the job of the, the, the leader and the support person, at this point, it almost like levels out that they're just as important because when somebody's praying and, and really feeling God, the Bible says that the angels rejoice in one sinner uh, repents. When they've repented, the angels are there rejoicing. And I think that's when the support people, the support personnel, can start lifting up their voices and encourage and create an atmosphere around, literally around that person. And when they feel that energy and excitement, it'll cause them to just come forth. Right. It'll cause them to come forth. Right. And that's what I like to call, and you've heard me several times say, GBFPC, I think it's time for us to push. And that's when the whole, the whole mama, everybody starts pushing, and we lead them through to the gift of the Holy Ghost. What, what, what would either one of you say to somebody that says, I know I need the Holy Ghost, uh, so pray for me that I get the Holy Ghost? Okay. I, we can't do that. That's not something we do. I, I, that's, I, the yeah. person has to be seeking the Holy Ghost. Absolutely. And again, that's why I think education is so important. If, if people don't understand what the value is of the Holy Ghost, the salvific right. you know, yeah. efficacy of the Holy Ghost, then... It doesn't matter what you do or say. If they don't want it, you are wasting your time. Good point. Brother Rob. I was going to say something to the same thing. It was about the baptism. And when you're, when you're having a Bible study with somebody and they're seeking and, and they don't understand, you explain it to them about baptism, but they come up and they're seeking, but it's like you just said, they don't understand. They're not seeking it in a proper perspective. When do you put the baptism in there and say, look, you need to be baptized first or it, it can be either or. I, I mean, I'm yeah, in Acts, it happens. It happens in, in different sequence. So in some, some cases they receive the Holy Ghost and then Peter said, these need to be baptized. In some cases they're baptized and they receive the Holy Ghost. So it's not, it's not in a sequence. The new birth experience is composed of both. Um, yeah, there's sometimes in a service, the move of God will hit, people will be seeking the Holy Ghost. They have no idea what baptism is even about, but, but they'll receive the Holy Ghost. Then you have to instruct them. That's one way. The other way is maybe you're doing a Bible study and revealing what baptism is, and they understand that, and that leads them into. So that's the calibration that you would have to connect with the individual to know where they are. Like, if, if someone comes and receives the Holy Ghost, the calibration is, okay, we need to talk about what happened here, and baptism is, is the essential part of that. So, and we can't let them, we can't let them go. We can't, <laughs> we had a brother receive the Holy Ghost. Okay, and then that's all there is. That's not all there is. Either, either of you want to respond to that? I, I, I want to just add just a little bit on the, the topic of education. Uh, some people just understand slower than others. Just be patient. Uh, I've heard a story from Brother Larry Booker. He told a story about a man that was in his church for over 20 years, specifically about baptism. And the way that the story was told is that Brother Booker was preaching on a Sunday morning, and, at, and he was talking about baptism in Jesus' name, that you need to be baptized. After service, that gentleman walked up to Brother Booker, and he said, are you telling me that I need to be baptized in Jesus' name to be saved? And he was just like, are you serious, man? You've been in my church for over 10 years. I've been your pastor for that long. How do you not know this? And he answered him and he goes, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. 
So for 10 years, some people are just really slow to understanding. Just be patient. Are we just filling the void? I know how you are about dead air, so I'll just continue talking. <laughs> so, what I was meant to... <laughs> oh, praise God. Oh, that was awesome. Uh, any other... We have Sister Stephanie in the back. Is there someone else? And then Brother Green up here. While you're taking the microphone there, really enjoy the plus one. I think that's, that's really powerful. If somebody's praying and they're on a certain level and you come in at a plus five, you may scare them completely away. If they're like, Lord, and you come in, praise God, what? I mean, you, you, there's like, whoa, what in the world was that? Uh, so the plus one thing, man, that's a great tool. If they're coming in with a lot of emotion, uh, that's right, sister. Okay, that's, that would be yeah. like minus, yeah. right? It right. needs to be plus one yeah. over the emotion. That was a really good point. Sister Stephanie. I've talked to Brother Kaufman about this at length, but I would love to hear another perspective on when someone is struggling. Same thing, you know, maybe they're slow to understanding, but they have been seeking the Holy Ghost for a long time. What are some things that you can say when praying with them? You know, I'm just curious of another perspective or another voice, things that you can help them. I know one of the main blocks when people are struggling with getting the Holy Ghost is they haven't fully repented or they don't know enough about repentance to understand the true experience of how powerful that is in unlocking the rest of it. Um, what are some things that you say to somebody who's really struggling? You can tell they want it so bad, emotional, crying. I want it so bad. Because they can get discouraged. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. And so I get what, discouraged what, praying with them, trying to encourage them because I'm yeah. like, it's right there. You can get it. Like, I right. don't know what else yeah. to tell you. So, so how can you encourage them? Um, there, there are several different things. There, there are several different things that can be done. Um, but it really does, it's, it's all about that person. And many people, if, if they continue to go in this cycle of, of constantly seeking, 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 they can habituate into that, and that just becomes what they do. So the best thing that you can do is you can just stop them. I have stopped people in the middle of their praying and say, hey, stop, look at me for a second. And I will tell them, I say, I'll tell them, I said, what you're doing is you're just doing the same thing over and over. I want you this time to really just start speaking from your heart. I want you to connect with him. And I will, I will emphasize words. I'm using very short phrases. Again, I don't want them to be thinking about the meaning. I just want them to be responding to things. Uh, and so I will tell them, I said, well, hey, you know, stop for just a second. Um, let's start from the very beginning. Why don't you just go ahead and just start talking to God like your best friend? That typically changes everything because I don't know how to explain it other than they're just more comfortable with that idea. And it kind of breaks that pattern because if they're stuck in that cycle of, you know, this is always going to be the same way every single time I come to the altar, it's going to be the same way. I'm going to come praying and I'm never going to receive it. That, that is very discouraging. And so what I will tell them, stop, just hold on a second. Let me help you with this. And I'll, I'll run them through that education process again. I want them to understand what they're doing currently is not working. Let me show you what works better. Do you have another question where? Brother Green. This is directed directly to you. You talked about entering into the, into the heavens, into the presence. And you talked about praise, and you talked about prayer. I wonder if you could elaborate and define those, prayer and praise. Well, Psalm 150 says, praise him for his mighty acts and according to his excellent greatness. You know, praise really is like a, uh, mm. like I could almost say a physical thing. There's sometimes you, praise is about his mighty acts and his excellent greatness. Praise is about what God has done for you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing this. Thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for a sane mind. I mean, thank you that I'm a faster learner than I was last week, Brother Otazu, <laughs> you know, thank God for his mighty acts and his excellent greatness. Then at some point you start to feel something different and you enter into a place of worship. When you, when you feel like you are at the throne of God, like you're, you're like, you're like Mary at the feet of the master. 
pouring out something from your heart that you've saved and reserved that costs something, that costs something. And you know, you have the attention of, of, of the heavenlies. And that's, that's the place where it's not just your words, but it's the sentiment of the depth of your heart and soul that are being poured out to God. And where God, it's not just you ministering to God, but it's God ministering to you. And the more you worship, the more you want to worship. And it's a beautiful uh, expression of your heart that comes back and blesses God and comes back and blesses you and then others around you. And that's, I guess, tying back into altar working, that is the place where the support person is so important because they've crossed into that place of worship. And that creates atmosphere around that person that's seeking God. And it's not just words, but it's something, a sentiment from the heart that changes the whole atmosphere. And everybody's blessed. Yeah. All right, two, two more questions. We're, we got five minutes. Sister Nancy. I just had a comment on the um, praying, you know, for the Holy Ghost because it, it took me a while. I came from Baptist Trinity background. It was, it just took me a while, but um, my you know, ex-mother-in-law, she told me, you know, that it's a gift. You know, God wants to give to you. It's a gift. And so, you know, when, you, when you're praying, raise your hands up, you know. And she said she always closed her eyes and, you know, closed everything else out. But you and God, you know, like I shut my eyes and I, like I could imagine the light and mm -hmm. like I'm seeing Jesus. And it just, it makes the connection, you know, mm -hmm. with him. It's more visual because I'm a visual person. <laughs> that right there, though, is important. So the yeah. calibration thing that he's talking about when you're working with people, everybody's not the same. Right. And what you just revealed right there is very unique because your way of thinking may be different than somebody else's. So when you're praying with people, you gotta figure out what that is. And sometimes that may be after you've prayed and you're carrying on a conversation and you're trying to help the person and then you realize they're more visual, they're more cerebral, they're more emotional. Um, very good point. Okay, last question. <clears throat> Where is it? Brother Cosme. Microphone. Hello. So let's say somebody gets the Holy Ghost in church. We know they got the Holy Ghost. They claim the Holy Ghost. Then they're going to go home. They're going to watch YouTube. They're going to talk to their cousin who doesn't believe in it, their uncle who's a pastor or something like that, and get discouraged. They're going to tell them it was a lie or they were brainwashed. How do we as a church uh, make a really good connection and, and maybe follow up with some teaching so that when they go out that week to their job or whatever and tell people what happened, they don't get discouraged out of what they experienced? Sounds like a pastor question right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what's uh, this is a good Sisterina question, really. Uh, it's all about it's all about follow up. It's all about the calibrate. I like the word calibration because it fits not just in altar working, but it fits in discipleship. So if they go out and explain that, and then they come back and you've made the connection with them. See, if there's no connection, they're isolated and they're completely on their own, and the wolves are ravenous. But if there's a connection with somebody that says. Hey, how are you doing today? Well, I'm a little disappointed because I, I mentioned it to my coworkers and they thought I was crazy. No, you're not crazy. What you've got is a gift of God. It's the greatest thing. Don't let anybody in the world tell you any differently. I'm here to support you, pray with you. Just keep doing what you're doing because it's a God thing. And if you need help, I'm here for you. It's, it's absolutely amazing. If those kind of people just taking them to lunch and sitting down with them and spending some time with them and listening to them, listening to them. The people that they're usually talking to are people not, they're not listening to them. They don't care anything about them. It doesn't matter what they've done. They could be addicted and dysfunction, all kinds of turmoil. They don't care. But they come back and they say, God's done something in my life. All hell breaks loose. And they make a determination, though, it's nothing. And, and so they feel that. That's where the church has to have a structure and a support system to say, we're not going to let those people fall through the cracks. Because if they fall through the cracks, it's not their fault, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. And that's where everybody, man, can calibrate. You may not be the person that's speaking to them so that they can get the Holy Ghost, but you could be the person that made contact with them back there somewhere and you found out what their name was.
And all of a sudden, there's a connection that is made. Anybody can do that. But what happens is we've got to get out of our comfort zone and start connecting with those people. (laughs) That's exactly why we have meet and greet. Uh, Some people we started meet and greet hated it. I got such dirty dagger looks, man. Meet and greet's an opportunity to get out and and it's maybe out of your comfort zone. But it's an opportunity. Hey, who are you? How did you come here? What's going on? I don't know. Brother CJ invited me. This guy by the name of CJ invited me at the gym. It wasn't even him. It was Brian Perriot. Brian Perriot's made a connection now with Ronnie. Now there's two people. There's the guy that actually invited him and the guy that he thinks invited him. And now they've got, hey, Ronnie, you got to stay here for be there. You can't leave. Come on. you got to sit with us. This thing is, I think, I think what's important about that question, Brother Cosme, that's the hard work of revival. It's not about just coming to church. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's the, uh, the uncomfortable part. It's about sometimes taking time out of our schedule to say, I'm, I'm going to reach out to somebody, connect with them, calibrate with them. That's work. That's work. But that's also where the benefits are. <laughs> Because when those people get the Holy Ghost and they're baptized, you got a connection to that. And, and that, that's, that's exhilarating and thrilling and exciting. Amen. Let's stand together. This has, been, this has been fabulous. I don't know that we've ever done anything like this, but it's been a, a great blessing uh, to me. I think it, it's helped us in, in a lot of ways. It's going to help us better. Thank you, Brother Otazu. And thank you, Brother Hopkins, for taking some time. And thank you for the great questions. Amen. Thank you for the great questions. Great questions. Every so often, sometimes something like this will happen and, and people will reflect on, you know, I, I was the one coming in with the plus five voice. Or, uh, you know, I said some things. I was going off on a big old theological, Christological piece when they were trying to get the Holy Ghost, and they don't understand any of that. All of us have been there. Brother Watazu mentioned patterns that he noticed worked and patterns that didn't work. Sometimes you're going to do stuff that don't work. It doesn't work. But you can be better, and we can all be better, and that's, that's the point of tonight. So if you did something that wasn't right, okay, now we've got an opportunity, and you build on that skill. Praise God. Amen. Somebody said amen. Nudge your neighbor and, and say, I'm, I'm, I'm better because of tonight. Amen. <laughs> I've got some things to add into my toolbox. Praise God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for opportunity to stand in the house of God. And we want to be used of you. That's what's very, very important, and that's our prayer. Use us in every capacity of service in the kingdom of God. We thank you and praise you. Hallelujah. Take us to another level. Move us beyond the borders and the structures that we've found ourselves in. Sometimes it's a rut. Get us out of a rut and help us to see great things. Praise God. We worship you. We praise you, and we ask that you would continue to do a work of God in the lives of individuals and in this city. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Praise God. It's meet and greet. Meet somebody, greet them, and tell them it was very good to see you in the house of God tonight. God bless you. Remember, tomorrow night is a focus on worship. There is no corporate prayer Thursday. We're going to be back in the house of God on Sunday.